um, believe accurately summarizes God's Word, and it is conveniently divided into 52 Lord's Days or lessons, and we go through them each Sunday, one a Sunday. Today we're up to Lord's Day 12, and just so you know, we're in the section dealing with the Apostles' Creed, and more specifically the article, I Believe in Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at why the Son of God is called Jesus, and we'll pick up our reading now at question 31. Why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? The answer, because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, and to be our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us, and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and to be our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in that redemption that he obtained for us. Now I decided to focus mostly on this question and answer, mostly because, well, it's nearly Christmas, and it's good to be focusing on Christ, on the Messiah. But I'd still like to read the next question and answer 32 with you, because it is so important for us to know that we all, as members of Christ, we share in his anointing, and um, this is one way that we can also apply what we'll be hearing about Jesus to our lives. For we are ones who wear, shall we say, Christ's name, Christians. That's what we read in question 32. Why are you called a Christian? And the answer, because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing, so that I may as prophet confess his name, as priest present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Yes, reigning with Jesus over all creatures and doing that forever. Now that's something to look forward to. And it's all because the Christ who once was slain rose as victorious king. These are words we can sing uh, in response to hearing the sermon, to hearing God's word. Rejoice, our Lord is King, and He reigns both now and forever. Hymn 44, stanzas 1, 2, and 5, after the sermon. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ. We are so used to hearing our Savior's name in this way, aren't we? But do we still know what his name means? And more specifically, why is he called Christ anyways? Last week we dealt with why the Son of God was given the name Jesus. No, Joseph and Mary didn't go to the local library, find a book of names, pick out this name themselves, They didn't decide to call their unexpected child Jesus. God was behind giving his son this name. 
can read in Matthew how he sent his angel to Joseph in a dream to tell him that the child that, that conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit. And then he, the angel goes on to say, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from all their sins. And actually, Jesus was a fairly common name in that day. Even today, there are many children still being called Joshua or Jesus. Both mean the same thing. But there is only one Jesus who actually achieved what the name means. And that is, of course, our Lord Jesus, the Christ. And naturally, that brings us to the question we are looking at today. Why, then, is the Son of God called Christ? And it's a good question. And we who belong to Christ, who even use His name to identify ourselves, we we Christians, of all people, should be able to explain why He is called Christ. Don't you think? And first of all, it's good for us to understand that while it might be true that Christ has over time become pretty much a part of Jesus' name, that's not how it was originally. He would have been known as Jesus, the son of Joseph, or Jesus of Nazareth. In that day, especially, it's also today, but in that day, Christ was more a title than a name. You see, the English words Christ from the Greek Christos and Messiah from the Hebrew, they both mean the same thing. They mean anointed or the anointed one. So technically we would say Jesus the Christ or Jesus the anointed one. We could see that in how we read that John felt the need, uh, he felt compelled to explain to his readers that when Andrew and when the Samaritan woman mentioned the Messiah, they were referring to the one who is called the Christ. But of course the question remains, why? Why was he called Christ, which means anointed? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand a little bit more about what it meant to be anointed. And for that, a good place to start is with the Old Testament. Leading up to that time that Jesus came, not only people were anointed, but also things or objects. See, one meaning behind anointing something or someone was that then they were then set aside for use in God's service. It was also generally understood that ultimately it was God who was doing the anointing through the person who either poured oil or did whatever. Most often the recipients of these anointing were kings, priests, and sometimes prophets. The anointing with oil not only set them apart, It was also symbolic that God would be enabling them to carry out their special role or office. 
Just to give you one example, um, especially when the kings were anointed and when Samuel anointed David with oil, we read that from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David with power. The point we can take from all this is that it, it is God Himself who calls and appoints a person to their office or calling. And He equips them by His Holy Spirit. And when it came to anointing his, his son, Jesus wasn't anointed with oil, but with the Holy Spirit himself. And it is amazing to think that God allowed us to see it happen through the eyes of others, of course. We read how John the Baptist was a witness to it all and said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. From the other accounts, the other gospel accounts, we know that at the same time, a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Wow, what a scene. We are given such a beautiful visual and audio display of God the Father anointing His Son Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Our triune God at work for your and my salvation. How awesome is that? And so the first thing we should always remember is that Christ refers to the fact that Jesus was ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit, especially the anointing of the Holy Spirit that um, is the reason He's called Christ. And very early on in His ministry, Jesus showed us how, and, and of course all the, 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 the people then, how His coming and being anointed was in fulfillment of earlier prophecies. We read what happened when Jesus came to Nazareth, the town where he grew up, you could say. He went into the synagogue as he usually did, and he was handed over a scroll. It happened to be the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus unrolled it till he found the passage he was looking for. And then he began to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus read that passage, He quietly rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. No doubt he was very aware that every eye in the room was looking at him. And Jesus began speaking, today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. My guess is that at that point, you could have heard a pin drop. It was so quiet. What is this guy saying? 
And we heard, we read how they were, they were all were amazed and they marveled at the gracious words he spoke. Because do you see what Jesus is doing here? He specifically chose this passage from Isaiah because it was one that pointed to the coming anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And yet they wondered, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Didn't he grow up right here on the streets of Nazareth? And yes, in fact, didn't have time to read it more, but if we would have kept reading after what Jesus said next, they were ready to throw him off a cliff. In the end, you see, the people were expecting something very different from a Messiah. An impressive, muscle-bound figure, perhaps. A hero that could lead them in battle and free them from the oppressive Romans. Maybe a passionate speaker that could motivate them with great speeches. And yet, before we judge them too quickly, we should ask ourselves, what are we looking for in a Messiah? For example, does it even matter to you why Jesus is called Christ? Maybe we could put it another way. What gospel do you believe? How would, how would we answer the question Jesus asked his disciples? But who do you say that I am? My brothers and my sisters, it is my hope and prayer that you would answer right alongside with Peter, who believed what so many others refused to believe. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, this son of Joseph, the carpenter, this man who used to play with the other kids on the streets of Nazareth, this teacher who stirred up trouble with the leaders, who ate with sinners, who took time out to hang, with, to hang out with people that everyone else didn't have time for who healed so many. This Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ. God Himself appointed and ordained His Son. And then He anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit to not just be a prophet or priest or king, but our greatest prophet, our only high priest, and our eternal king. And this is the very gospel, brothers and sisters, because this Jesus Christ came to save sinners, to bring the lost to repentance. Yes, Jesus the Christ came for you and for me. And so I preach to you God's Word as summarized in Lord's Day 12. First question and answer, I use this rather simple theme. Jesus is the Christ, that is, the Anointed One or Messiah. And we'll see rather briefly, I could have done a sermon for each or multiple sermons, but rather briefly we'll look at an overview and see that Jesus was anointed 
by the Holy, or with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet, first of all, secondly, our only high priest, and finally, thirdly, our eternal king. First, then, our chief prophet. I don't think Jesus had a phone ringing when he was talking. <clears throat> now, with regard to his anointing as prophet, the first thing we should notice is how our catechism says he is our chief prophet. It's used here as an adjective, so what it means is that Jesus is our greatest, or we could say our most important prophet and teacher. You see, many, also in other religions, but many might agree Jesus was a great prophet. Many of you might agree that yes, he was a wise teacher or sage, whatever, but as a Christian, we believe he is our chief prophet. He is the supreme teacher, we could say. He is the last and everlasting prophet. The only one we will ever need. And then, yes, our catechism points out, has our, as our chief prophet and teacher, Christ has fully revealed to us the secret in other words, what was hidden is now revealed. The secret counsel and will of God concerning our salvation. You see, it was always the prophet's job, so we say, to bring God's word to his people. To show where they were veering from it. We've been doing a series on Haggai, perfect example. He brought God's word to his people. And then they will also call them to repentance. It was how God spoke to his people. We can read that in the opening to the letter to the Hebrews. In the past, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But that era has now passed. For we continue reading, but now... In these last or past days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, instead of just using anyone to be his spokesperson, or even an angel as a messenger from heaven, God now has spoken to us by his own son. One who is intimately connected to the Father. And did he ever speak? As the greatest and most important prophet and teacher, Jesus Christ teaches us, for example, the ultimate meaning of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. He called people to repent. And He announced the coming of a new and eternal kingdom. He preached about His own suffering, His death and resurrection, so that we might be reconciled to God. Yes, as chief prophet, Jesus Christ shows us the way and the will of God. He reveals to us His Father. We read elsewhere in the Gospel of John, no one has ever seen God, but His Son, who is Himself God and is in close relationship to the Father, He has revealed God to us. See, all of this is part of what Christ reveals to us as the secret counsel and will of God concerning 
our redemption or salvation. And here's the best part, brothers and sisters. Jesus came not just to reveal the will of God, but to fulfill it. He laid down His life because that was His Father's will. And in doing so, He opened up the way to God. He is the only solution for the separation from God caused by our sins. As we also heard earlier this afternoon. May this truth resonate in your hearts. If you've been a Christian a long time or all your life, think about this. Is Jesus the anointed one? Is he the one you turn to as a way to God? If you are new to the faith or still searching for answers, look no further. Jesus is the Christ. As he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And yes, of course, that is through Christ who was ordained by the Father, anointed by the Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher. In Him we have the way to God, the forgiveness of our sins. We have eternal life. What grace. What love. Let us thank God often that He has fully revealed to us what His plan was to save the likes of you and I. And part of this plan involved a very costly sacrifice, as we'll see in a second point. How Christ was anointed to be our only high priest. Now, among other tasks, the Old Testament high priest had two main functions. That was to make atonement for the people and to intercede for them. By God's grace, both of these are now accomplished for us in Jesus the Christ. The book of Hebrews, if you ever want to look into this further, the book of Hebrews is full of this, very clearly lays out how Christ is the fulfillment of all that used to be done by the priests. Listen to God's Word from chapter 9. Verses 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And again, a little bit further, verses 24. For Christ has entered into heaven itself, to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Not by offering up Himself repeatedly, but He has appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Like I said, 
a costly sacrifice. You see, according to Hebrews, this main task of offering sacrifices to God, making atonement in this way, has ended. We no no longer need priests to repeatedly offer sacrifices. The only high priest we need is Jesus the Christ. Because His once and for all sacrifice on the cross, it was the fulfillment and the end of all those sacrifices, all that blood that was spilled, all of which which was foreshadowing the coming of the Anointed One. And so Jesus Christ is our only High Priest. Nothing else is needed. This is confirmed for us in Hebrews 2. Jesus became a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make atonement for the sins of the people. Not only did Christ atone for our sins once and for all, He intercedes for all believers. One example, while he was on this earth, we can think of his high priestly prayer. It's often called in John 17. There are other prayers, of course. And not only did he pray for us, he also taught us how to pray. And at the same time, it's not something he only did on this earth. Jesus and his, his Holy, and, and his Spirit continue to intercede for us. Romans 8, we hear how the Spirit helps us in our weakness by interceding for us when we don't know how we should pray. And then a little bit further in the same chapter, we read how it is Christ. Christ who is at the right hand of God who is also interceding for us. And from Hebrews 7, we see how this interceding is directly connected to His office of priest. For there we read, unlike the other priests, Jesus lives forever. That means He is a priest forever. And will always live to intercede for those who come to God through Him. And so as our only high priest, we can know He takes our imperfect prayers Prayers that are often selfish. He takes them, and we can kind of imagine almost that He cleans them with His blood, so to speak, and then He presents them to our Father. What a comfort that is. So brothers and sisters, it is so important that we know and understand how Christ was anointed to be our only high priest. Especially since it may feel like, and I don't know, I don't know about you, but I get this from time, like it feels like we're, we're far removed from this whole concept and idea of a need for a priest to offer sacrifices, to atone for us, to make intercession for us. I get that it's hard for us to imagine 
all that blood being shed. But it was absolutely necessary. Because we were reminded in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there simply is no forgiveness. And so we simply must understand that Christ died for us once for all, never to die again. This was the ultimate sacrifice and shedding of blood that paid for all our sins. And so as our only high priest, He carried our punishment. He atoned for our sins. And it is only because of the Christ's work that we have direct access to our Father. And Christ is right now in heaven praying and interceding for us again and again and always. And yes, all of this makes Jesus the Christ our greatest and only high priest that we will ever need. But let's move on. In our third point, we'll consider Jesus the Christ was anointed to be our eternal King. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Our Lord is King. We'll be singing that in just a few minutes. We'll praise Jesus our Savior, the Christ who once was slain, but rose as victorious King. Jesus, the Christ, as our King. So what does that mean for you? Or put it this way, how... How is your life any different because Jesus is your King? And I ask this not just of you, but of myself, because just like the idea of prophet or priest might be a bit foreign to us, so the concept of King. I dare say none of us have been subjects to an earthly King that we can compare that to. We may hear of kings, but we don't, we haven't, most of us anyways, haven't lived it. Well, brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ is our eternal king, then we are to subject our lives to him at all times and in everything we do. That means when we get up in the morning, when we have a shower, when we drive to work, when we go to school, we realize that our day is governed and ruled by our King. We are to serve Him. We are to obey Him. Always. That means in our homes, on the school bus, when we throw parties, I could go on. He is always our King. Is this the case for you? Do you go about your day remembering that you are a servant of King Jesus? 
It's good to think about this because it shouldn't just be something we confess with our mouths. It has very practical implications to how we live. We can see that in how our catechism describes that living with Christ as our King means He both governs us and guards us. First of all, Christ our King governs us by His Word and Spirit. I found it interesting that when explaining the petition, Your Kingdom Come, that we hear that it means that we are asking for exactly that. When we pray Your Kingdom Come, we're saying, so rule us or govern us, King Jesus, by Your Word and Spirit that more and more we submit to You. Because the Word reveals to us His will and gives us a set of truths to live by. The more we read and study His Word and submit ourselves to our Father's will, the more effective our King can govern us and make us faithful members of His kingdom. As Jesus Himself said, if anyone loves Me, He will keep My Word. And My Father will love Him and he will, we will come to Him and make our home with Him. But let's never separate His Word from His Spirit. As Jesus too, after referring to what I just read, after keeping His Word, right after He continues explaining, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so never forget that we are being governed or ruled by our King's Word and Spirit. We need the Word. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us so that we might obey King Jesus. As we confess elsewhere, faith comes from the Holy Spirit who works it in our heart by the preaching of the Gospel or the Word. And it is the Holy Spirit who makes us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. And so let us then accept and embrace both the Word and the Spirit so that we can be governed by our great and eternal King, Jesus the Christ. But our King also guards us. That is, He defends, He preserves us in the freedom that He has won for us. You see, being a king, and kings don't only rule over their subjects, good kings also protect and defend their people. My brothers and sisters, say it again. Jesus Christ paid a very high price to free us. We can read in Hebrews 2 that by His death, He destroyed the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And He set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Realize this. 
Know it. The devil has been defeated. Oh, sure. He still prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. But then right after that, we have to realize we have the power to resist him standing firm in our faith. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have Jesus, our King, who, after freeing us, will continue to defend and guard us in that freedom He won for us. Praise God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Praise Jesus, the Christ, anointed to be our prophet, priest, and king. As we come to the end of the sermon, I'd like to point out that we might consider what John writes near the end of his gospel. There he actually tells us why he wrote what he did. For as he says, the fact is, Jesus did many other miraculous things. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in His name. You see, brothers and sisters, believing that Jesus is the Christ is not optional. It is the very heart of the Gospel. It is the way to eternal life. And so, let's be just as excited. Let's exclaim with Andrew, we have found the Messiah. Let's believe what Jesus told the Samaritan woman as if He was here right now speaking to you. Saying, I who am speaking to you am the Messiah, the Christ. Let's imagine ourselves sitting in that dusty synagogue in the small town of Nazareth, listening to Jesus apply the words of Isaiah to himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Truly, it is the year of the Lord's favor. The Messiah. The Christ has come. May we today, some 2,000 years later, never forget what it means that Jesus is the Christ. He was ordained by God the Father. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Believe it. Trust in Jesus Christ as your complete Savior. For He has been anointed as our chief prophet, our only high priest, and our eternal King. Amen.